Hey, welcome back to the Kingsway Podcast. So excited you are here. Thanks so much for tuning in. We have a great special episode for you today. And if it looks a little different, it's because Ryan's office has now transformed into a professional recording studio. Yeah, we remodeled <laughs> by leaving. <laughs> we went somewhere else. <laughs> we are off-site. We are down at OCC, uh, which is Ozark Christian College in Joplin. And we are actually, um, we are we are being graced with the presence of one of the professors from yes. OCC, uh, Dr. Um, okay. Shane Wood. Yeah, I just got to okay. lay it out there. I, <laughs> Shane and I have never met, so I have to grease him up before I, uh, before I tear yeah. him down. Because we're going to talk through his book today. And uh, I... It's a book we've mentioned on the podcast before. Absolutely. I think we mentioned it for the first time on episode 50 with all the atonement theories. Um, this one was of my the favorite one, episodes. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes. That was such a good episode. Thank you, Mark Scott, who made me write that paper. <laughs> um, so it was on that episode. We, uh, we talked about Between Two Trees, but I think within two episodes, then we talked about our favorite books. Yes. I don't remember which one. You bought it on air. You, you bought that for me on air and then literally said it three, three or four podcasts in a row until I read it. Yeah. So now, we hear, now we're here. This is it. If you ever read a book, you have full rights to meet the author. That's what we're teaching you right now. Well, uh, Shane, I know that uh, you've not watched our podcast yet, but now you'll be a riveted fan. Yes. Absolutely. At Without least your question. children will watch it a couple times. Maybe your wife will check it out for 10 minutes. Yeah. This uh, is actually how we get more fans is we have more guests on the podcast and they're like, I wonder what's happening with that thing. Are you guys selling the NFTs yet? Is that, is that yes. how far you've gotten? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know if that's where we've, where we've arrived. We don't have, we have water bottles, but we forgot them. So yeah. Um, we're going to jump into it. We obviously we're, we're joking around, but I am stupor, stupor, super excited um, to have Shane on the, the podcast and talk through his book. We, we've done a little bit of research. Like I said, we've had other, other chances to discuss it, but it's, it's always a unique experience to get the person that writes it. Yeah. I have preached enough, never written anything yet, but I've preached enough to know that it feels like you're like, like stripping yourself naked mm -hmm. to talk through some things like this. Uh, and I will say, I thought the book was going to be much more worldview than personal. Mm. And Ryan kept like telling him, he's like, how far are you? And I'm like, like four. And he's like, cool. And he didn't <laughs> give anything away, but he yeah. was just like, so like you haven't read the second half yet. And I was like, no. And then like, I got to certain stories yeah. in the book and I was like, oh, that's why Ryan kept asking me where I was at in the book yeah. because of certain things. And uh, you know, it, it changes genres about every four to six chapters. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's about I, right. I, I, That's mean, right. I don't want to jump into it cool, too quick, but here we go. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> my thought process around the book is uh, I thought it was a beautiful um, story of kind of your grafting of academic worldview versus your personal worldview. Mm -hmm. It felt like those two things met in this beautiful collage. So you laid it out in the first few chapters and then you just kind of shotgunned your, your experiences mm -hmm. and the ways that it's interacted or interceded with your life, maybe through pastoral stuff. Mm -hmm. And then through personal stuff. Yeah. Uh, is that an accurate, I mean, I mean, obviously you've probably, this is, it's been out for three years. So I've got some questions that. Yeah. Yeah. It, shoot. Has it been? Yeah, 2018. Two, two was it 2018? I thought it was 2019. I don't have a clue. It might've been December 30th, I 2018. I like I've been writing it for like 20 years. So <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah. To even say it that way. No, I think that's a, that's a real accurate portrayal. Uh, that's actually a lot of the way though, that I, that I teach and even just process the Bible as a whole. Yeah. So like one of my go-to lines with my students is if, if theology doesn't impact everything that you are, it's absolutely worthless. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it, it, it was, it began as a question, like, frankly, the way I even describe it is like, 
um, somebody asked me like, what? Now, why did you write the book? I said, because if I didn't answer some of these questions, I didn't know if I was going to still be able to be a Christian. Mm. It's like, for me, Mm -hmm. it, it has to be, it has to be at that core of a level of who you are. Otherwise, what are, like what what game are we playing here? Hundred percent. So so for me, yeah, the, the first couple of chapters were about um, well, like really just kind of solving like what what is this thing called sin? Because I've heard about it ever since I was a little kid growing up in the pews, but I don't think we really have a good definition of it. It seems very strange how we talk about it, mm-hmm. and it's worse than you think. Absolutely, and that's that was one of those that was one of the first things that caught my attention. Mm. Uh, having done youth ministry for a long time and taught children's ministry for a lot of time, trying to make something really complicated, simple. Mm-hmm. I think we lost the meaning of that word. Yes. I mean, obviously it's just kind of like, you know, I've always been told it's like the archer's bullseye, right? You know, we right. miss the bullseye, you know, right. like that's the stereotypical conservative view where you're like, right. oh, I miss the bullseye. And yeah. I'm like, I'm not Robin Hood. But, uh, <laughs> but at the moment where you interact with that question, that's where I felt like the book really started to take off for me, mm-hmm. where you started to talk about this union with death and then mm-hmm. ask those questions in Genesis that really started to go like, what happened? happened yeah yeah um years later now two years three years whatever it is how are these answers sitting with you would you add some things different would you change the way that you verbalize some of this stuff because i felt like it was pretty clear but Mm. i know that your mind the way that i can hear you at least thinking in the book can tell this is not something that you're done thinking about no uh for me the, the word the union concept that that has stayed consistent even mm-hmm. a couple of years later, there there is some words that I think I would uh, change, like in in chapter four, I think it is where I talk about, um, you know, separate we stand. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think I actually would like the word more like distinct instead yeah. than separate, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that I at the time the way I was envisioning the word. It, it's strange how whenever you're writing something, because I think I actually started writing it in like 2016, 2017. So then it you know goes through all these processes and doesn't make it. Well, out you seem to, like to write the book in like later. 40 states. Yeah, because you're, yeah. like, you're like I'm in this library yeah. in Rhode Island. In Rhode like, Island. And how did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> my, my brother lived there. Was the oh, answer yeah. to that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I literally would. Literally, the way I actually wrote the book is I would wander through cities, whether it be Rhode Island or Chicago, yeah. and uh, and I would just find coffee shops and I would sit down and kind of do like a. Uh, like a prayerful um, unearthing. Like I would just close my eyes or sometimes just look around the coffee shop and just type meditating on questions or something. And so I had like 50 or 60 essays that eventually I came back and I was like, now how does this fit together as one (laughs) book? So it was weaving all those together. But um, yeah, there, there are nuances I would change. um, But, but honestly the, the core of it, no, it's been matter of fact, even, even reflecting on 2020, which yeah. uh, I preached recently, and my closing of the sermon was, um, let's just be honest, Christians, 2020 wasn't exactly a banner year for the church. No. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. and a lot of it to me was this question of what have, what have we united with? Mm-hmm. Um, whenever, so you even, you even mentioned this, you know, that, that sin was missing the target, which, you know, the, the Greek word does have that concept, but there was a part of it too, the way we talk about how mad God is at sin. Mm-hmm. Like, is he really that mad that I didn't hit the bullseye? Yeah. Like, is that, you know he I mean? Is. It's like, I broke a rule. <laughs> yeah. I broke a rule and he's like, he can't help himself, but like wanting to backhand, backhand me. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know that that always jives with the picture that we see of Jesus coming in. Um, there's actually two ways in which we deal with sin. Uh, that, that always bothered me to the point where, like I said, 2015, 2016, I'm like, I have to answer this question or I can't keep doing what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, which I love. It, which I, For me, it has to be that visceral. But um, number one, we have this weird thing where God's like allergic to sin. 
Yeah. You know, like he's like, yeah. oh, shoot. Like, we, would you know. call, we would we'd shroud it in the word holiness, <laughs> yeah. right? Like we would shroud right. it with like he's too holy. Yeah, he, yeah. Can't, he can't stand its presence. And I'm mm. like, I'm like, wow, sin's, sin's really got God's number. Yeah. Like it's pretty strong and he has to just run away from it as quick as he can, which wow. I find to be absurd. Because mm-hmm. uh, the, the, truthfully, I think the opposite happens. I think sin is trying to run away from God as quick as it can. I think God's going, I just want to hug. Chasing down shadows. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh-huh. I just want to hug. Uh-huh. It'll be fine. Uh, the, the, the second thing though is that yeah whenever we reduce sin down to breaking a rule um it reduces down the problem and the solution and that to me was the tension yeah. i was wrestling with is now all of a sudden because sin's just i broke a rule and god's gonna damn me for it mm-hmm. all of a sudden the solution is jesus died on the cross and now i get to not be damned yeah yeah and i'm like, like hey I, I think both extremes actually extend further than that well and there's the fullness you know we talk a lot about john 10 10 at kingsway we say like you know life to the full mm-hmm. and i i love your union theory and i, I want to give you a chance to to talk about that for just a little bit to explain the difference in what maybe sin has been explained to and what you're talking about, this mm-hmm. union with death versus this obvious union with Christ, union with God, which mm-hmm. I think is a full life, yeah. Uh, yeah. much more yeah. relational. And mm-hmm. it hit me between the eyes because I'm going like, this is what I've been talking about. And it gave me some verbiage mm-hmm. that I was excited about originally when we talked about, let alone when I started reading the book. Sure. So I was just like, okay. So th- for those that are listening, like I don't want to completely spoil the book because I think the beauty of the book is not just this theory, but also your, like I said, your personal stories, your pastoral stories. I know Mouchin Gitois, so oh, no I kidding. played soccer yeah. with him. Oh, no so way. I That's like, awesome. I played soccer with Boney for three years before we knew he was in his 40s, and I was in my <laughs> early 20s, and I was like... He has that way about I was it. Like, <laughs> like, I was like, how are you competing with us? Like, anyway, but coach would kind of play it easy with him sometimes. We're like, why are you... Oh, he's 20 years older than I am. That makes so much yeah. more sense than I but I love Boney. Yeah, he's great. But yeah, explain for those that are listening, maybe that are riding in their car, they haven't picked up this book yet, they haven't even heard the other podcast, but they're like, who's this guy? What's this What's this groundbreaking thing that we keep talking about? But I, I, I honestly don't want to... I don't want to chalk it up too much because I feel like you sure. didn't pull this from no. some far off place. I think you just yeah. went to the roots. Yeah, I... I actually, in a sense, it's a it's just a retelling of um, really, really kind of like just two primary sources for me on this. Yeah, uh, one is the Book of Revelation, mm-hmm. which is yep. what my which we might get to do another podcast. With oh, you. sweet, Fun. we'll nice. see. That'd be great. <laughs> no, I mean that's what I did my master's work on, my my PhD on, and you actually come to a point wherever you stare at something so long that instead of just being able to dissect it, you start to think like it, mm. and that's where that's kind of where whenever I'm thinking about atonement through the lens of my, you know, area of expertise and revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, then I start to actually see atonement the way John saw it. And so that's one of the, one of the connections, but Irenaeus, so second century church father, um, who was actually a disciple of Polycarp, who was a direct disciple of John. So they're kind of in the same stream. Yeah. Disciples of disciples mm-hmm. of disciples. Exactly. Uh-huh. Irenaeus, is, he has what's called the rec- recapitulation theory, and that's mm-hmm. the atonement theory that I've read, and I'm like, this just resonates with me. And the reason why it resonates with me is because it's not just about the, it's not just about the death on the cross. Mm-hmm. The recapitulation theory mm-hmm. says every component from the birth all the way to the ascension is essential in order for all that happened in Eden to be dealt with. Yeah. It's not just I'm guilty of something. It's actually without Jesus being born of a virgin 
it, without God becoming flesh, this could not have been undone. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was much more comprehensive, but I am, I am a preacher and I'm a teacher. And so, yes, I can deal with all this stuff, but until I translate it, I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, and it was really when I was reading, I, I've been, matter of fact, I'm working on another book this summer Hey, and I'm yes. still in, I'm still in Genesis one through three. Like I'm yeah, actually yeah. still like, uh-huh. to me, it is the most rich, uh, there's so many questions to ask in this. And so the primary question of this book was, okay, what really happened? Mm-hmm. Like, that's really the question. And, and it was Genesis two twenty four was this little hint verse where I was like, something's going on here. Why would we transition from two creation accounts you know, Genesis one, the seven days. And then yeah. Genesis two, we slow way down on day six and he's naming all the animals and yeah. puts him to sleep. And then, you know, out comes Eve and yeah. bone of my bone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. And then he comes in Genesis two twenty four right before we move to, to the, the fall to yeah. the, the serpent. And it says, uh, it has this random verse that typically, and not to be crass, but typically we just reduce down to sex alone. Yeah, where it says, you know, yeah. for this for this reason, you know, a husband will leave his father and mother, and will be will be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Yeah, and and what's fascinating is that 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 passage is actually quoted twice by Paul in the New Testament. Yes, and one of them was in Ephesians five, and he's talking about a husband and a wife, and he quotes it, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, like you're, you know, yeah, yeah, that's that's the sex passage, and then he says, but this is a profound mystery. Yeah, for I'm talking about Christ and the church, and all of a sudden I was like. Wait a second. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And so there, then there was one other key element that kind of locked all this in for me is in the book of Revelation, death is personified. Like death isn't an abstract idea. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a person. You know, so, so uh, you know, um, in Revelation chapter six. It's mistress, is fear, is right. Like you yeah, use that language throughout absolutely. the book, which I love. Yeah. Uh, but in Revelation chapter six, you know, the fourth horseman, you know, they have this riding on the pale horse and death is his name and Hades is following close yeah. behind. Mm-hmm. And then in Revelation 20, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. And I'm like, how do you throw an abstract concept into a fire? Well, if death then is a person and we were made to unite with others yeah. for this reason, the husband leaves, you know, unites with the wife to become flesh. All of a sudden my thought was, Oh shoot is what Irenaeus and what revelation saying is that sin is us becoming one flesh with death. Yeah. And if that's true, then the mystery starts to unfold in a, in a, in a clarifying and terrifying way. Oh, because now it's, it's worse dude. than just miss it. It's worse than just breaking a rule. Well, and the way you lay <laughs> yeah. that out with, how sin then becomes a display of that union. Yeah. Like sin becomes like the, almost like the symptom yeah. of the greater issue rather than sin being the problem. Mm-hmm. It's a symptom. Yep. And when you started laying that out, it made so much more sense to why addiction or why we're struggling for, you know, having yeah. issues with sin becomes almost like chronic Yeah. because it's a part of who we are. It's like a, something that leaks out of us. Like you said, sin is something that we ingested and then it's just yes. something that, it leaks out of us now because of the union. I thought that was brilliant and it made so much more sense to me in the sense of what I've been told growing up versus what I'm fighting to understand. I think it'd be really helpful for people to understand that too. When it talks about when we unify with Christ and we're Mm -hmm. obviously then starts different things start to leak out of us, right? All of a sudden that's that action side of things, which there's, there's two things I want to get to before I want to jump too too much further. One of the things I loved that you did was you got super transparent Mm-hmm. in this book. And mm-hmm. I don't want to give anything away and I don't want to make you talk about certain parts of it because I think it'd be healthier for people to read it necessarily than necessarily talk about it. Cause I think there's a, there's a, 
there's a really important part in the book with the forgiveness aspect of that yeah. that I think is meant to be read. Okay. I really think what you did there is just great. But I want I want you to talk about this. Why why did you feel like sharing that 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 particular, you know, this particular part of your life was so needed in the book because it felt like it was the linchpin for me. Yeah. to mm-hmm. to why sin needed to be dealt with differently. Yeah. So cha- chapter seven and eight, and um, I will heed your advice and not tell them. You, don't have to sh- you can share as much as you want. I just okay. want to make I'm, you share about it. If I'm you're okay with sharing with it, and I don't, I don't care about blowing a surprise if done. that's okay. I, I, okay. You go with whatever direction. Yeah. It's one of yeah. those things that I didn't recognize it was in the book. Yeah. Uh, I have family members and people that I'm close to that have, yeah. and some people are more comfortable than others. So yep. I just wanted to make sure. No, for me, I'm very, I'm actually very comfortable with it at this point, especially, well, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but no, so, so chapter seven begins, I believe it's chapter seven, but uh, chapter seven begins with the line, something along the lines of, you know, at the age of six, I was molested for the first time. Yes. Which uh, part of part of what I don't even bring up in the book is, yeah, I, I talk about the babysitter that first molested me, mm-hmm. but actually I, I was actually molested in multiple locations by multiple people over a period of like five years. Wow. So like it, it, it there's a part of that where, uh, where you can't talk about every detail of it in the book. No, so no. That's even and why you do I love... a good job of drawing lines because it's, sure. it's not necessarily ever graphic no. in any way. No, and I, um, and that wasn't more for me. That was more for the reader because I didn't want them to be truthfully. I wanted them to understand the depths of what of what union with God actually should affect. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I, I teach this with Ozark students. Is it's like um, you know we we kind of talk about at times we, we try to make Jesus more masculine. Yeah, like you know, like oh, he's just this fluffy, grace filled guy, and we need to make him more like Rambo and all this weird stuff. Yeah. And I'm going like, what, what do you what what do you think grace actually is? So then I was like, let me tell you what grace is and see if you think this is quote unquote Rambo like. This is yeah. what Jesus is asking you to do. Forgive the greatest enemy in your story. Mm-hmm. Whoever has wounded you the deepest where if I said your name or they walked in here, you would recoil. That is the beginning place of your understanding of grace. Yeah. And for me, it was Joe, my babysitter. Yeah. Um, you know, the age of six, whenever he molested me, like it, it sent me on a spiral of just confusion. I just didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know why it was happening. I didn't know why my my parents didn't protect me. I didn't know why even 20 years later, I hadn't told my parents. Like yeah. I, I actually told my parents when I realized, oh, this book's going to be out in a year. They're going to read it. Yeah, I yeah. probably should have a conversation with oh them about it, gosh. which that that was brutal. Oh, that would be horrible. However, this is this is also one of the things I'm really concerned about right now with our current, our current culture and the way in which we deal with victims. So, yeah. Um, we, we almost think that the goal, well, let, let me say something a little bit more edgy because I think it's necessary. Um, it's okay. We, 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 think, we think in today's society that the biggest victim in the room wins. Yeah. And that to me is, um, it's both the beginning step of something that's holy, but where we're ending is something that's going to, it's going to devastate us in a way we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's holy in this sense. It, healing can't begin until you take your hands off of the wound. Yeah. And that that to me what it would admitting mm, that I'm a, a a you know a a sexual abuse victim it's it's just me taking it off the wound but that's not the goal healing then can begin there yeah but it doesn't but a lot of times we end there I even there was somebody recently that was online and they were they were talking about they for the first time were publicly speaking about an an abuse that happened to them and they even said they're like the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because I want to protect other people from this situation I will never experience healing but at least other people can. And my thought was, 
you've actually missed the point of, of, of bringing to light your victimization. The goal is not to be a victim. The goal is to actually walk the difficult path of healing. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. It bringing to light your victimization. That's a really hard step, but the hardest step is realizing that's, that's only the first step in this deep journey of and healing. And you, you talk about that in the book about the guy that you knew that was working with a meth addict that has laid on his yeah. arm that fell asleep. And I thought that was such a brilliant way to talk about it. You, you know, this guy was struggling out of coming out of this addiction. Mm-hmm. Felt, he said his, well, his life was worse yeah. than when he was on meth. He's like, I just want to go back to where I was happy. And your friend, uh, you know, I don't know if you even mentioned his name. It's, it was Randy Garris. Is it Randy? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you said, you know, I remember when I laid on my arm and it woke up and it tingled and it hurt and it said, but I'm just so glad I feel yeah. something. Yes. And I feel alive. Exactly. And I, 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 I feel the same way about this full life thing that I've been telling the Kingsway. Like, that's the type of stuff that I think people miss when I say full life. It's those types of growing pains mm-hmm. that are truthful. I mean, everybody has hurts and that key, cor- the, the key, two key things that I, that stuck out to me was your study of Hitler <laughs> and how, how that became a part of yeah. uh, kind of the, the turning point, which yeah. I have the story of, uh, I cannot remember the details and I'm going to totally butcher this, but there was a, it was like the 35th witness of Auschwitz that okay. was like a 12 year old boy that was called in the eighties. Now is in his twenties. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to testify that they found this guy in South America, that he was a part. Well, he didn't testify. He ran out of the room. Wow. So then they found him in the nineties and they said, you know what? Why didn't you testify? And it's very similar. Mm. He, w- he said, I expected to see a monster. But when I walked in, I saw myself. Yeah, I saw whoa. that I could be, I thought it was going to see some crazy person, but it was a man just like me. Mm-hmm. And that terrified me. And yeah. I, cu- I couldn't do it. And Dateline, you know, they're just kind of like, we don't have a box for this. That's not the answer we were expecting. And I felt very similar with your you know, discovery of just going, like I found myself looking and feeling and seeing how Hitler became this horrible thing. And I don't know if I would have, you know, been able to completely, uh, you know, get over some of the things and the pain yeah. that he was in. I, I think that was incredible. Now walk me through this. Cause I think I have, I have in our, in our church right now, several people that have mm-hmm. been wounded in incredibly not similar, but very deep ways. Yeah. And they are struggling yeah. to move on. Absolutely. And the key, and maybe they won't pick up this book, but when you talk about, letting go. Yeah. And you talk about healing with Joe. Walk me through what that was like and when did that process start and when did, you know, when, how did that become a reality? Yeah. So, um, I kept, I kept this, this story and this, this wound hidden for 25 years. So, um, <clears throat> it was actually, there was a couple of different things, dominoes that kind of fell for me. Um, number one was, um, so I'm like 31, um, this happened when I was six, I'm 31 and I finished my PhD and I'm sitting on the, the kit, the couch and you know, the diploma comes in the mail and my wife and I'm opening it and I'm looking at it, my wife sits down next to me. She's like, what are you, what are you thinking? Mm. And I said, I'm thinking, I thought this was going to feel different. Ooh. And she goes, what do you mean? And I just said, this means nothing to me. And, and I didn't know it, it was disorienting at the time. And as I kind of began to unpack it over the next couple of years, I realized that that a lot of my pursuits, I was trying to heal something that was broken in me, and I didn't know that's what I was doing. Yeah. The, the problem is for me is every t- uh, the pursuits I was using to try to heal myself, people kept kept applauding yeah. me for it and patting me on the job. back. Yeah. yeah. Which made it all the more confusing. Yeah. You know, some people medicate through you know through the bottle or through pills or through work or mm. and and for me it was it was 
pursuit. If I keep running and I keep, yeah. if I keep achieving, then, then I can't get hit. Mm-hmm. Joe can't affect me anymore. Yeah. I didn't know that's what was happening, but it was whenever I eventually, matter of fact, it was in this building. This used to be my office. They've totally renovated it now, but in this building, a guy by the name of Peter Buckland, which was the counselor that I went to and yeah. talk about in chapter seven, um, for the first time, I, rem- I, re- I think, do I, I don't know if I talk about this in the book or not. I remember whenever he was like, well, as a sexual abuse victim. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, you said that in the book. Yeah, I was like, I'm not a sexual abuse victim. And he was like, okay, what would you call yourself then? And I was like, oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing yep. in my heart. Like, I know other people, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was this unraveling that, that actually Joe still controlled me 25 years later mm-hmm. because. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't taken my hands off the wound, and that's the image I've been using since the book, um, because I have four kids, yeah, and so they have a lot of scraped knees on bikes. <laughs> and the number one thing is the dad when they come up, they're screaming and they have their hand over their <laughs> knee, and I'm like, I need you to take your hands off the knee so we can start the healing process. <laughs> when I started taking my hands off of my my healing, uh, the other thing that kind of started to lock in was I started to not just pray for Joe. I started to do what I feel like Christ did for us. I started to practice empathy. Um, mm. Empathy is different than sympathy. Uh, sympathy, you feel bad for someone. Empathy, you put on their flesh and see the world through their eyes and their emotions. And whenever I, in my prayer time with Joe, I started to ask questions that, that pushed me deeper into his flesh. Questions like, I wonder who hurt him. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder where he got the idea of doing this to a six-year-old would bring healing to him. Because in some sense... Um, what I was doing with my PhD was what he was doing whenever he was molesting me. He was medicating a wound. Yeah. So, so then all of a sudden, when I started asking this, Joe became more and more human. And as I started understanding the contours in my own heart, um, I realized broken people break people. So who broke Joe? Yeah. The problem is, is I've, I've fallen out of contact. I mean, like I, I was six years old. There was no Facebook. I don't have a clue. I, I'm 99% sure his name was Joe. Although I've talked to like my family and everybody's like, I don't remember his name. I was yeah. like, I remember his name. Yeah. But I don't know why. But then I started to, I started finding myself longing to connect with him. Um, and then I, I kind of accepted the fact that it may not happen in this life. So I started praying and asking God, like, truthfully, this is going to be even, this is going to sound a little weird, but I was like, Lord, if Joe dies before me, can he greet me at the gates? Mm. Because I want to, I have so many conversations. First of the first thing I want to say to him is it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, why? Mm-hmm. Well, not because what you did was right. What you did was wrong and it actually affected me, but I want you to know like that wound. And this is, this is the, the, the beautiful mystery of taking your hands off of the wound is that eventually if it's deep enough, eventually not only healing happens, but eventually it becomes a scar and so you, and this is why Jesus' resurrection to me was so important. Yep. He resurrects, but he still has the scar. But when you put your finger in it, like Thomas did, it doesn't affect him anymore. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, is the goal of our wounds. But that cannot happen until we first take the first step of bringing it to light. And then the real work begins. And so now it's been, it's been eight years since I've started this journey. And that's the reason why for me, it's like, I, I, my, so whenever I was doing kind of the tour for the yeah. book, my wife, one night, whenever I got home, cause, um, you know, the sermon, I tell the story yeah. and my wife's like, do you get exhausted telling the story? I said, no, I was like, I, I was like, I'll be honest. It feels like a, it feels like I'm reading a book that has my name on it, but I, it's not you anymore. It doesn't feel like me mm-hmm. anymore. And I said, but what exhausts me is the amount of people that come up and for the first time yes. they're like, 
hey, something happened like that to me. I said, carrying the weight of their pain that has yet to become a scar, that's what exhausts me because it's heavy. That's heavy, man. But there is healing. Oh, dude. And that's, you know. like you said, if, if you can help people, you know, luckily in those situations, you're not pastoring them. So you're just getting their hands off the wound maybe for the first time, yeah. but hopefully you can hand them off. Yeah. I mean, that's working in pastoral ministry. I can tell you deep pain like that is some of the most difficult things I could preach all, all yeah. I can preach every week. No problem. <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, I was joking around with uh, yeah. Ryan and a couple of the two days ago, like nobody calls a church and goes, my life's going great. I just wanted <laughs> yeah. you to know. And yeah. like everything's, everything's good, going wonderful. So. I just want to check in and say, good job. <laughs> right. Like no one does that. They're always yeah. calling them 25 years is sifting away or somebody yeah. got hurt or something's going on or someone got diagnosed and it's, and it's tough, but I, you know, I read a book, um, by, uh, you know, it's, it's called, uh, oh gosh, through the eyes of a lion. Huh? And it's from, why can I not remember his name right now? Do you remember his name, Jesse? I'm going to start naming authors I've heard you say. Oh, my gosh. Malcolm Gladwell. No, gosh. Why can I not remember his name right now? Anyway, he lost his seven-year-old daughter to an asthma attack. And he basically just walks through just this deep pain. Um, And then I've read Lament for a Son, um, which is probably one of my favorites. Um, A guy in our church lost his 17-year-old daughter this last year, and this was the book that helped him through. Yeah. That and so deep pain is a part. I and I say all that to say like this was a side of that mm-hmm. that I haven't walked with someone yet. Yeah, I hadn't pastored someone through Levi Lesko. Levi Lesko, thank you. Okay. <laughs> it's a really good book. Okay, um, one of the lines you teared apart uh, was C.S. Lewis's quote about how it's uh, God's uh, bullhorn, you know, whatever. <laughs> and God's he made and uh, yeah. you know that's one of the things Levi Lesko says. And then I'm like, well, that just destroyed that. But that was, a, you know, <laughs> but it's a really good, really good explaining of like I, I've I've always loved Andy Stanley's line that God doesn't waste pain. Yes. Never wastes pain. And I, and I would even, I would bear in it, you know, who am I to amend, you know, Andy Stanley's statement, but it's like, he doesn't waste pain, but he doesn't will it. No. And that, that to me is so important, uh, in, in incorporating what Joe did into my story. It is, it was never necessary. Yeah. It was never, it, I will never say like, well, you know, without that, I wouldn't have da 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 da. I'm like, no, I believe good things could have happened to me without Joe breaking me like this. Mm-hmm. And I do not believe God willed it. But no. he will not waste it. Never. So, so, and, th- and this is true for us all the time. Like, we're like, you know, we, we usually hand God garbage. Now, he can make a masterpiece out of garbage, yep. but you don't have to hand him garbage. <laughs> That's the end of your book, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, you can do good yeah, things. You know actually, that, right? Yeah, kind of cool. That's part of transformation. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> you know. Um, if, if someone's listening to this though, and they're not, you're obviously, you're not in front of them and stuff is mm-hmm. counseling. The first step is, I mean, if they're, if they're opening this wound for the first time, is it seeking professional help, finding mm-hmm. someone they trust? We have sponsorships at Kingsways for that. I mean, we yes. write it into our budget because awesome. it's become, uh, you know, I've been in counseling for a couple of years for my yeah. own stuff. And I think it's just uh, <laughs> the way I verbalize it. And maybe this is a helpful thing. I'm an ambulance as a mm-hmm. pastor. I can stabilize you. But I got to get you to a heart surgeon sometimes. Absolutely. And yeah. I got to get you some people that are professionals. And so I know my limits and I try to, to learn those well and then go, hey, let's get you to the people that can really help you. Yeah. I, I think to the I think to the victims, I would say um, every path, every person's pathway to healing is different. Okay. Um, and that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but but usually that first step is uh, bringing what you've kept in the darkness into the light to someone. Yeah, um, that's always the first step. That's where part of the thing that was fascinating to me about the story 
whenever I keep whenever I keep my story hidden, even from myself, I'm actually entrusting the darkness with something only the light can handle. And that that's that's a part of this union with death. I'm so united with death, I think if I keep it into the dark, that's where it's going to heal. That's the best place to deal with it. That's the and that's a lie. It's not true. Yeah. So the first thing I would say to the victim is if you find someone that you trust, and maybe it is a counselor, maybe you feel most comfortable with going to the professional because they're 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 a step removed and nothing's at risk. Yeah. Maybe you go to somebody in your in your, you know, life group or home group, or maybe you go to a pastor, maybe you go to a, a sibling. The first step is taking your Get hand off the wound, exposing what's in the darkness oh. to the light. Then once we go down the path of healing, now I'm gonna talk to the people walking with the victims. You receive their story as a gift. Do not try to solve it. Do not try to theologize it. Don't try to explain why. That's a total mistake. There, evil is meaningless, and we just need to allow that to sit. Mm-hmm. It ha- do not try to decipher meaning out of it. If God creates meaning out of it one day, let him do that in the person. You don't need to do that for You them. don't need to do that. But... Know when to guide them to the professionals, to the yeah. heart surgeon. That's the next yeah. step. And I will say, healing doesn't happen when you just bring it to light. Then you need to grab, you know, the the you know the um, uh, hydrogen peroxide and pour yeah. it on there. Yeah. And you, you need, need to, to start some... to bandage it up. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is where if the wound is deep enough, absolutely, you then need to go to the professionals that can For start sure. walking you through the process of healing. But let me let me also say this. So it's eight years removed since I started really dealing with this. I'm in my uh, third or fourth round of, of counseling. I've been going since this past March. Yeah. And I told my wife, I said, I think this one, I'm actually, I'm not, I, I, I well, my counselor's like, I think we still need to go back to the trauma again. And I was yeah. like, really? I thought I already dealt with yeah. that. And then I was like, oh, you don't, you don't, dealing with a wound is not like um, selling a car. It's not like you sell it and then it's gone and yeah. you give the deed Good away job. and it's over. Yeah. It's peeling an onion. It's like, and I believe that the spirit moves us at a pace that, that, that the spirit knows we can handle. Yeah. And so I'm at eight years mm-hmm. removed from, from exposing it to light. The spirit goes, okay, now we got a root down here that's super deep mm-hmm. and it's going to take six to nine months to rip out, but we can do this together. And yeah. I, I feel ready to do it now. Yeah. But, but so it's, it's allowing this to be, you know, it's like if I hid this for 25 years, what makes me think I'm going to solve this in 25 minutes? Like it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No. You know. <laughs> well, and I, you know, counseling married couples, they say that, you know, however long the affair went, it'll take five times as long to heal. Okay. So yeah. like, you know, if there's a trauma in your life, it's always tough to know the duration doesn't always determine how long it'll take to fully heal. But I think we know that it's not even equal portions. Yeah. If you're, you know, yeah. if you're abused for a year and then you do counseling for a year, it's not like, well, good job. You yeah. know, like, well, yeah. Yeah. wipe it off. You know, it's like, and I, I agree with you that, having counseled a number of people, not having a, a huge amount of professional training, but how it was handled with you of thank you for trusting me with your story. Yeah. I remember that line and I was thinking, man, I need to remember that. If someone ever tells me something that's beyond even my comprehension of evil mm-hmm. and it's a deeply emotional thing that I myself am reeling just from even knowing about it, mm-hmm. just saying, you know, I trust you. And that leads me to kind of one of my favorite parts of what I think the union theory is really about. Sky Jitani wrote a book a years ago called With. Oh, okay, yeah. And so when I've you heard of this, when you said With yeah. is your fair, I was like, yes, yes. Like I love yeah. that concept. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I really like this idea of like Jesus comes into death, he marries himself with us, you know, mm-hmm. and then rescues us out of it to be with mm-hmm. us. And 
that leads to fruit of mm-hmm. righteousness, but yeah. also leads to transformation and healing from the wounds of death. Yeah. And I love that concept. So if you're talking to someone that's like, Hey, if you haven't experienced the fullness, cause the end of your book is such a beautiful calling of just like, mm-hmm. come, come back, come back. And you know, you do this awesome, like Ozark professor thing where I'm just like, <laughs> by the, I'm like at the end of every class, I'm like, how did I just cry yeah. and walk back to my dorm going, I just learned about Jesus for the first time. Um, yeah. It's That's like awesome. if someone's listening to your book and you wanted them to catch it in a, in a, in a few, you know, maybe in a few sentences or a few minutes, like how do you put that with concept and then calling people that have been walking with Jesus for a while or brand new and say, this is the fullness that we're chasing. Like, yeah, uh, man. That, yeah, that's it, the well. What's funny is actually the the book that I'm writing right now. I, it's it's more of this. So I was talking about the original sin, really, in this between two trees. In this book, I'm going. What's the original blessing? Ooh. And and it's this. I don't think the original blessing can be completely snuffed out by the original sin. Yeah. I think I think there's a portion of it that is so relentless that God's uh, pursuit of us, which I think is contained in the word with. Uh, it's it's so relentless, uh, that, that we actually need to take the word omnipresent a little more seriously. So that's, that's, that's what I'm working yeah, on. Yeah. You're working on now, but, cool. but it's because it's, this concept has grabbed a hold of my heart. It's something that I needed because in the times of pain, um, I, I, I looking back on it, one of the questions I did ask was, you know, where were my parents, but mm-hmm. also where was God? And, um, in, in my own kind of prayer life with God, um, I've, I've had him, this is going to sound like, you know, maybe a little more charismatic than what your, uh, no, because people you are do used talk to. about that vision yep. in the book. I do. Yeah. Well, there was, there was a couple, mm-hmm. uh, but there was one where we're in, in my prayer closet with the Lord, we went back to the place of the trauma. And I mm-hmm. remember watching what was happening and raging and screaming at him going, where are Thank you? you. Yeah. And, and basically the answer back has been, um, I'm doing what you're doing. And he's, he's like, at times I would see Jesus weeping and ripping his hair out and I'm, and I'm going like, well, why don't you freaking do something? And I'm actually editing the intensity of what I was feeling. I understand that. Uh, But his response was, I'm doing what you're doing. And, and, and eventually when I was writing the chapter on with, that's what I was thinking of was when being with someone, sometimes we need them when they're, when they're with us, we want them to step up and to stop what is happening. Uh, But what I find with God is he's more tender than that. He allows our choices to be woven into the tapestry that he's weaving. And at times what he is weaving is far beyond any of our choices. And the greatest gift he can give is that he's not distant. He's actually present with us. His name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Yeah. Um, and for, for me, when I'm walking these last eight years of unearthing this, uh, that's actually what I needed more than the answer to why did this happen to me. Yeah. I just needed to know who he was. And what I've found more than anything is that the tenderness of God is in the, is in the fact that um, it, close isn't close enough for him. That's why, you know, we talked about how the original sin came through union. Well, it yeah. came through eating, ingesting fruit, yeah. or I had to talk about ingesting death. Yeah. But it's also the reason why the center of our worship services is ingesting Jesus. Yeah. He, he, with us, it's not, whenever we think of the word with, it's not just sitting next to me like a buddy. Yeah. He close isn't close enough for God. He wants to be indwelling in us. Um, and there's a part of that where then the healing starts to come from the inside out. And then yeah. you start to view the outside in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's where Hitler starts to become, a, because you've walked on the internal journey, you look at the external world where Hitler resides and you go, oh, shoot, I can see inside of his internal journey. And actually, they're very similar to what I've walked through. Yeah. 
So one of the things I, I tell people too, is I say, listen, when it comes to discipleship, you can only walk people down the path as far as you have walked. And if you've not gone in your own internal journey, this is one of the number one reasons why I think that uh, Christian evangelism is struggling in America is because we've not walked in our own journey long enough to be able to know how to help the people that are yep. walking in theirs. Yep. Um, so, I mean, if you yourself have denied yourself healing, understandably so. Yeah. Like it's not, it's, that's not a negative thing. It's a normal thing. Yep. As a matter of fact, I, sorry, I know I'm going on a little bit of a monologue here. I apologize. You're good. No, um, I want to give you permission to. Well, thank you. Uh, and it's also kind of like a uh, thunderstorming. Yeah. So Every time if you, you hear something rumbling, drastic, God yeah. just goes, yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's not, not Ryan playing with his effects on the table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but which I think is actually pretty appropriate. I, you know, it's one of those things whenever you're wrestling with this stuff, it feels like a thunderstorm raging inside of you. Um, and you, you're, you're looking for that safe space to be in. Yeah. And, and him being with us is essential uh, because a lot of the times, so even the word Passover, mm-hmm. the word Passover in the Old Testament doesn't mean like skip, hop over. <laughs> it actually, the image of the word Passover is, is, is God putting his wings around the locations. So he's any, if there is any attack of the angel of death, it would hit him before it First. hit the building. Wow. That's Passover. That's really cool. And that's with, mm-hmm. um, so you feel, you still will experience pain even as a Christian. This is like where. You know, but it's like, but Christ himself, if we're ingesting Christ, don't be surprised whenever, um, well, the way, the way that usually if I sign a book, which I hated doing that yeah. when I started doing this, like book signing thing, I was like, this is not me. <laughs> so what I started doing, I was like, I'm going to pray for you as I'm writing something for you. And then I'm okay with this. Yep. Yep. But usually what I would write is I would say, may God heal your wounds through his wounds. Mm-hmm. And, and what I wanted them to realize is that, is that actually the healing of our wounds and then we, we then, through Christ's wounds, we then become the agents of healing by using our wounds to heal others. Mm. And the only way you can do that is if he is with you, which is the reason why in chapter seven, where I'm going through this, um, my own story of being abused, where I attack that concept of God abandoned Jesus on the cross. And I'm yes. like, if, if God abandons Jesus at his time of greatest need, then is he really with me in my greatest yeah. time of need? Mm-hmm. And so diving into Psalm 22 and realizing the Psalm actually says the exact opposite. Yeah. The Psalm goes, Oh no, he never turned his back on the suffering of the afflicted one. And I'm like, he didn't what? Yeah. You know? And so Jesus is singing that Psalm because a lot of the times when we're in the midst of being wounded or when we're trying to run from our wounds, we think that God has abandoned us. But the mystery is, is whenever we actually are able to see what it is that the darkness is shrouded and with the, what we are able to see is that he was with us the whole time. Absolutely. Yeah. And that union idea there where we still feel the effects of the union with death, which makes us feel isolated from our union with Christ. And so if we, it's where we focus our eyes, it's where our, where our heart leads us to, as we turn our eyes, as we fix our eyes, as he would yes. say, it, it, it suddenly changes what union we focus on, yeah. what, what we've been given, what we've been offered. I want to end this just by whetting the appetite of some people that maybe are thinking, maybe I've just learned everything about the book. Um, you haven't, uh, there are so many stories. Um, there's so many things in this that I think you, you address fear in a beautiful way of talking about as one of the agents of death that has crippled. I think even the last year we've seen it with, um, crippled the church at time. You talk about the, the need to say, I don't know. Yeah. And how just sometimes that is the agent of learning new things and being available to new things. You, you talk about not being in a hurry and slowing yeah. down is really important. 
and one of my favorite things that you talked about is maybe, and I loved how you alluded to this and you just kind of just, I was like, oh man, I'm going to read in this, but you're like, maybe when Adam and Eve ate the, that fruit, it was just them getting things, getting ahead of themselves. Yeah. And haste. Haste. Yeah. And I loved that. I was yeah. like, how has that not been talked about before? Yeah. How has that not been injected? So it didn't surprise me that you're staying in Genesis 1 through 3. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah. unpack that, <laughs> man. I can't like, get away give from me, it. <laughs> give, me, give me some more of that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I found the book to be incredibly inspiring, incredibly, um, I think one of the things that I loved about it, it, it felt like a healthy conversation through deep pain and reality, but giving freedom to say that I'm still studying, I'm still growing, I'm mm-hmm. still learning. But union with God is what is giving me access to these things of my heart that are healing, but also new enjoyments of being with God, this Genesis yeah. type mm-hmm. vision. So, dude, thank you so much for being here. Thank I you. really appreciate yeah. you. And uh, if you want to check out uh, Shane's book, we'll have a link uh, in the description. And I'm hoping that we can snag you for one more, maybe, and we'll see if that, that can happen. Um, if you guys have any comments, uh, feel free to put those in there and uh, we'd love to respond to those. If you have any questions for Shane, we'll try to shoot those. And I'm sure there's a way that we can get his info in there too. If you have anything you want to lay out to him or, or say, thank you for being on here. So hit that subscribe button, hit the like button. If you enjoyed it, we appreciate you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Have a great and glorious day in the Lord. Peace. See you.